Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What's going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast. I am your host, Nathan DeSau. And I'm Rizwan Merchant. And today we are reviewing part seven of the Ahsoka series. The episode is called uh, Dreams and Madness. Uh, before we get started, uh, we do want to say that we are recording this in the middle of what is now only the Screen Actors Guild strike. Uh, earlier this week, uh, it was officially made. Uh, it was officially announced that a tentative agreement has been uh, made between this, the Writers Guild and uh, you know the studios. So uh, the Writers Guild, they have their hard work is paid off in this strike. Good for them. We fully support them, and we hope that the Screen Actors Guild strike can yield just as much success. And I'm also hoping that the the agreement that they've tentatively made sticks. Yep. The last thing I want to see is us get excited now with a tentative agreement, and then next week we find out, oh, there's no tentative agreement because they stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we are doing this in support of them because without the hard work of these writers and actors, shows like Ahsoka would not be possible. And we would not be very happy Star Wars fans today. Right. What I think is a great transition into Episode 7, Nate. Mm, it absolutely is. You know, I, I'm kind of... It's kind of interesting and, uh, to me, unbelievable that we're on Episode 7 already. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you and I have been joking every podcast saying, can we have it all right now? But literally, we have everything in our hands except one more episode. Yep. And to that, I say, hey, Disney, can I get the last episode right now? Yeah, can we get that right now? <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I have I have thoughts. Um, I think I know. What, I, have, I have theories and stuff to go into in this one, man. All right, so we're going to give uh, the recap real quick. Uh, yeah. I, I don't normally say this in our... A podcast, but I kind of want to do this a courtesy now. Uh, you can skip ahead to uh, our review segment if you want to, because there are going to be spoilers, so you have been warned. So uh, let's jump in. So uh, the cold open of this episode before it transitions to the main portion. So first of all, to give a recap, uh, the previous episode was mostly just, I mean, I don't want to say a setup because a lot of stuff happened, but uh, th- to basically kind of sum it up, we saw Ahsoka and Hu Yang traveling to the new galaxy in the Purgles. And then the rest of the episode was all about uh, Balin, Shin, and Sabine arriving on the planet of a new galaxy, which is called Peridia, which is apparently the uh, uh, world of origin for the Dathomiri people. And that's where they met uh, Night Sisters, which is also where Thrawn was. Sabine went out on her own little voyage and successfully found Ezra. And then the episode ended with Thrawn uh, detecting that Ahsoka was approaching. Now, this episode begins uh, with a cold open. Um, We're back on Coruscant. Uh, Hera is on trial for basically disobeying the orders. You know, it was established in episode five that uh, she was going against military command. And of course, uh, Senator Ziono is being kind of a jerk because I, I don't know if he's a jerk in resistance. I've not seen the show, but I can just assume that he's, you're muted, Riz. Oh, I was saying we got to get on that at some point. Yeah. Because I need to know why is he a dick? Yep. Um, so He's giving her a hard time and it's demanding that she get court-martialed. 
But then, uh, but then we get a great cameo that I literally like. I don't want to say I had a huge fangasm over, but it was still cool. Three uh, PO, C three PO, he comes in. I jumped out of my seat when I saw three uh, when I heard three PO's voice. I was like, wait, they didn't, they didn't yeah. do it. They did it. Yeah, like, I probably reacted even better than, like, when I saw R2, because we've seen R2 in two of these shows. He showed up with Luke at the end of Mandalorian Season 2, and then we also saw him in Book of Boba Fett. I probably had a better reaction to seeing C-3PO than R2. I will never not be hyped to see my man R2, though, okay? Yeah. R2 is, like I said before, one of my favorite characters in this entire show. Mm Mm-hmm movie so whatever like r2d2 is just on a whole different level to me and c3po will always have a special place in my heart because i don't know if i told anybody on this podcast not even riz yet but uh one of the very first uh, halloween costumes that i ever had as a kid was i went as c3po for halloween that's awesome yeah yeah it was really fun uh but anyway, uh, C-3PO comes in. He is uh, working on behalf of uh, Leia. She gets mentioned here again. Uh, they apparently established that she's the leader of the New Republic Defense Council, which, if that's the case, then if they're really going for, like, this bigger, like, bigger story, like, little bigger political scandals, I don't think they can get away with not showing Leia that much anymore. Like, they're no, going to have they have to do something. Her in. Yeah. I mean, I get. I mean, you can. I mean, you can get away with not showing her in a uh, that one time when Tiva mentioned her. And I mean, I can buy her sending C three PO to speak on her behalf every once in a while. But at some point, you're going to have to show her if if, yeah. if you establish her with a role that big, because this is like Minister of Defense level. Yeah, like it's, ranking, a, it's so. a pretty big role that she got here. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, he gets Hera off the hook by basically saying that Leia authorized her mission, which causes the council to, you know, adjourn. But, you know, Mon Mothma kind of meets her on the sideline, claiming that, you know, claiming that, uh, you know, he knows that she knows that Leia didn't authorize the mission. And then Syndulla warns her that Thrawn, that the threat of Thrawn returning is real and they have to prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. Yeah. And then, and then that leads us to where the rest of the episode is, where we're on Peridia. Uh, uh, we start off with a very epic moment where Ahsoka's training with her lightsabers and we see a rec- holographic recording of Anakin, once again played by Hayden Christensen and wearing his Clone Wars armor, which... That image will never cease to be amazing. It, I, it's beautiful. Like, just to have Clone Wars Anakin back, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty awesome. And uh, he mentions the formidable adversaries. Uh, so, of course, he mentions Grievous, and he mentions Count Dooku. He mentions Asajj Ventress. I love that. Like, she, like, this is the first time I think Asajj Ventress has received any acknowledgement in live action. Yeah. I don't think she's been mentioned anywhere else, but it's about time, man. That's all I got to say. It's about time. By the way, speaking of this, I know this is a side note, but like I saw a lot of people uh, like question, why doesn't Dave Filoni bring back Asajj Ventress in the show? And I don't want to say anything explicitly because I don't, I know Riz hasn't done this. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm just going to say this, guys, like, there's a reason why Asajj Ventress isn't going to pop up. So, yeah. and you don't know why, go read the book Dark Disciple. So, just people who are angry that Asajj Ventress isn't showing up, there's a reason why. And honestly, if Asajj Ventress showed up, I would be pissed off. So, just want to say that. I mean, yeah. Asajj Ventress is in a place that I'm okay with her not returning right now. Yeah, by the way, like, by the way, Riz, we're going to have to, like, review Dark Disciple while we're reviewing, like, the Clone Wars and everything, because that book is literally based, that book is literally based off of, like, 
storyboards from Clone Wars episodes. So you could consider that like seven Clone Wars episodes compacted down into a book. Uh, I'm uh, sold. Let's do it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, going back, so, uh, you know, they uh, uh, they go through, you know, she goes through a lot of recordings. Apparently he's made like 20 of them. I think she was looking at one recording with Ezra and Rebels, I remember. And honestly, the training that he put her through kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, this one uh, Tales of a Jedi short. There were three revolving around Ahsoka, and there was one that revolved entirely around him training Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. So honestly reminded me of that short. Um, but uh, anyway... Uh, so they arrive at Peridia and they immediately get attacked. We go through like a big dog fight in the uh, debris field, which is like the ring that surrounds Peridia. And, uh, and eventually she locates Sabine through a force bond. So this is kind of like a master and apprentice bond, which uh, this is probably the first big sign of force sensitivity with Sabine. Cause yep. th- this is literally the exact same thing that Luke used to, call Leia for help when uh, he was uh, hanging for for his life on Bespin in The Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, this is for sensitivity there. Uh, now, and then most of the episode after that is just like one big fight scene, like Balin and Shen, they locate uh, Ezra and Sabine along with the Nadis uh, while they're like traveling to a different location. Uh, we get a fight where you know Ezra and uh Sabine have to fight off uh have to fight them off Ahsoka arrives on the surface and she fights Balin for a little bit before he's forced to retreat and then Sabine fights Sabine and Ezra fight Shin and uh while all that's happening uh Thrawn and Morgan Elsbeth they finish loading up everything uh onto the Star Destroyer Chimera and they recall their forces. So they're basically ready to escape back to the main galaxy. And we get a big reunion between Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra. And the Ku Yang shows up with the ship and Ezra says, I'm ready to go home. And then the episode ends. And yeah, I had so many feels with that. Seeing Ahsoka yeah. and him reunite. Like, I know Ahsoka wasn't a big part of Ezra's life. Like, she didn't train him directly. But she was a figure in his life when he was the Padawan under Kanan. Like... Yeah, I mean, he was there on Malachor with her. Yeah. During, like, her big moment, like... Yeah. But I don't think Ezra knows Vader and Anakin's connection. Yeah, neither do I. I Because, mean, I mean, even though he... Because uh, I don't remember Ahsoka telling him that. And even during that one scene where his... Where Vader's mask got busted open and Ahsoka and Anakin were talking, like, Ezra was tr- Ezra was putting Kanan on the ship. So he was too far away to hear anything in their conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... And uh, one thing that's cool here is that uh, Thrawn gets the information about Ahsoka and in connection with the books, they established this in the first Thrawn movie. And I think in the book that uh, maybe it's the book that Riz is reading right now, like we see that Thrawn actually met and knew quite a bit about Anakin. Yeah, no, Thrawn knows a lot, but I, I still am a little surprised that he doesn't know that um, Ahsoka's the Padawan until then. Like, I assumed he would have figured it out before now, but he also had no reason to need to know this about Anakin. Um, well, okay, so to help put this into perspective, Thrawn and Anakin meet in the second trilogy that's set before the first trilogy, if that makes sense, Nate. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they meet in the Clone Wars for the first time back then. So I'm a little confused on how Thrawn doesn't know Ahsoka 
from that if he met Anakin in Clone Wars, unless they met while Ahsoka was with like Rex or Obi-Wan on, on a different mission somewhere. And the answer to that question, I don't know because I haven't gotten that far yet. My could final it be story- during... No, nah, it uh, couldn't have been during the Siege of Mandalore because Revenge no. of... Everything that could have was happening with Anakin during the Siege of Mandalore we see during Revenge of a Sith, so... Yeah. Could it have possibly been like... Well... When Ahsoka was on a different mission like i remember she and vera sophie were on a mission together at one point well but had may also took her on a mission every now and then remember like um what was that separatist planet that padme took a circuit to where padme had that friend that was the senator from the separatist I, I know i know what you're talking about i can't remember what the name of the planet is but i do remember that story arc yeah so there's stuff like that that does happen and Ahsoka's not always with Anakin because they do get separated every now and then on different missions. Like, mm-hmm. there's also the time where uh, she's with Flo Tloon, remember? Yep. So, there's ample time for it to happen. When it happens and why, I don't know, but give me a couple of months to get through the books and we'll know. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I highly recommend these books. Uh, Timothy Zahn is just amazing, and I'm becoming a big fan. Yeah, Timothy Zahn, like, I mean, if, if there's one thing that can unite every Star Wars fan together, it would be that Timothy Zahn is a great writer. Yeah, I think so. Because I mean, even if you're not a fan of the new canon, like, it's considered a sin in the Star Wars fandom to insult the original Thrawn trilogy, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nate, we need to talk about that finale of this, the finale episode a little bit, and Mm -hmm. what this is setting up to, because you and I were talking offline prior to this, and when I asked you what you thought of the episode, you said this is a big setup to next week, and I 100% agree with you, but now I need your take on the possibilities of what, what could happen here. So, the way I see it, a couple of things could happen next week. Number one, the ghost crew that's on Peridia does not make it back to our galaxy in the episode. Yeah. They get stranded somehow. Either Thrawn strands them, um, or they just don't resolve the entire conflict in time. Because I'm going to assume we got a 45 minute to 50 minute long episode next week. Mm-hmm. I'm not assuming we're getting an hour and a half or two hours like I want. So I don't see them wrapping up everything with a nice bow on the top, you know? Mm-hmm. So one option is they get stranded. The other option is they do go back, but the finale the final scene of episode eight will be them gearing up to battle Thrawn in our galaxy. Maybe calling Mando, maybe calling Bo-Katan and the Mando, Mandalorian army, um, getting the New Republic to get their ass out of their head, like get their head out the ass. Yep. Um, I, I do think that the only thing I think is going to be resolved this season is Maybe not necessarily Shin, because I feel like, well, first of all, I, do, I don't want Shin to just, like, be eliminated in the next episode. I feel like Shin is a character he, that they really need to explore. Around. But Balin being, but Balin being killed and, like, eliminated, like, like that that's something that I feel would be a great way to wrap it up. Just because, I mean, well, first of all. I mean, they can't bring him back now since our friend Ray is no longer with us. But yeah. I, but I, I, I just feel like you know they they owe it to him to like you know wrap up his character like maybe this season and then like maybe like I don't know you could have him like get killed by Ahsoka or something like that and then like maybe Shin becomes like a someone who in like the next season like wants to get revenge since it's kind of established that she and Balin have like a genuine 
master and apprentice relationship. Like, I think they care about each other genuinely. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to see Shin get eliminated because there's no, so much that they can I, do with it. But her. I will say, I agree with you. And it's with a reluctant heart that I say I want to see Balin die next episode. Only because I don't want to see them leave his story unresolved. Yeah. So I'm hoping that organically they had already planned to kill him off. But if they didn't, then they have to do some explaining, like leave him behind in Peridia to just be part of that galaxy from now on or something. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I kind of got the, uh, I was kind of, I've become more curious with Shin now, especially because like my, my wife was kind of watching this episode with me and she asked me like, so did we ever find out what the story is on those two evil Jedi? And I was able to explain to her quite a bit about Balin. I mean, she's like, yeah, but what about the woman? And I'm, and I was, and I tried to explain it. And it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> They haven't really given us much on No, Shin we yet, don't know so. anything about Sin yet. But see, like, that's the thing. Balin said, I think last episode, not this one, Sin, I'm training you to be more than a Jedi. I'm training you to be more than um, a standard Jedi. You're going to be more than that. So I think Sin's around for the long haul to hopefully carry out Balin's desire. And if, and if Balin dies, that would make her an even more compelling character in future well, seasons. Or it future might make her more unhinged. Well, that's true. She probably would have killed Sabine by now if Balin wasn't pulling her strings. Correct. So still be more unhinged, still be left with no real sex. Because Thrawn considers Sin and Balin beneath him and not worth his time, and they're just mercenaries. Like, yeah. he repeatedly shows how little he cares about those two throughout the episode today. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just mercenaries, and once he, they're done, he's done using them, he'll just discard them. Yeah. In fact, I would probably find him very likely to uh, kill Balin and Shin because, like, if he wants to become, like, if he wants to establish a new empire, maybe he would view anyone who can wield the Force as a threat to that empire. Yeah. So naturally, he would kill Balin and Shin just because they could pose a threat to that. Yeah. And so... This brings up an interesting nuance that has been in the back of my mind probably since the first episode of Ahsoka, and I've been holding off on posing the question in a podcast out of hope that it would become very obvious to me why it was done this way, but they haven't explained it yet, so I'm going to pose the question, Nate, as a way to kind of give a question that we probably should get answered by next week. And that question is, why does everyone suddenly default to wanting Thrawn to be the new emperor of the galaxy and to continue Palpatine's work? And... I understand he's a great admiral and he did a lot of great stuff and he was brilliant and devastating in battle, but why why him to be the leader, especially when you read in the books, at least in the first book that one we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, um, he didn't seem to have a very big desire or his interests didn't seem to be very aligned with the Emperor, his interests seem to be more aligned with his own people, the Sith, and he did what he did in this, with the Empire, 
to fulfill his own personal goals. And because the goals aligned, that's why he was a good admiral for the Empire. But he's not actually somebody that I would immediately think at the end of the, at the Empire's demise and say, we need Thrawn back. You know, like, to me, that's a little interesting that they go this route. And I know it's a lot for plot, but if you were a part of the Empire, like, five years prior to the start of Ahsoka, would you be inclined to want Thrawn back? And then how did you communicate this plan to Thrawn to bring him back? I mean, possibly just, if I had to guess, maybe they just mainly want, like, what I would think possibly is that they want Thrawn not necessarily to be the leader of a new empire, but what they could be interested in is let's bring Thrawn back and with his tactical genius and like everything that has brought us so many victories uh, to the empire, we'll use him to like reignite the full might of the Imperial military, like the Imperial Navy and the Imperial army and with his tactical genius, we can crush the New Republic. And then after that, you know, we can potentially find a new emperor or or something akin to that. And and we'll figure out what to do with Thrawn later. And I mean, that's kind of the inkling we get with the Sato Council, Sato Council in Season 3 of Mando, which I know you haven't seen, but they have a scene with a lot of uh, empire, imperial like generals mm-hmm. and people, and they reference Thrawn being the savior. I mean, they don't use the word savior, but they imply that he's the one that they need. And oh, and it could also possibly be that you know Thrawn, like you know, could not only unite like could not only unite the Imperial military, but he also has a lot of influence in the Chiss. So yeah. he could use the might of the Chiss Ascendantry. I can't remember what the pronunciation of that is, but... Ascendancy? He, yeah, Ascendancy. Uh, use something like that to like help establish more control over the galaxy or something akin to that. Like... It's, I don't know, like, but, but it is interesting, honestly, like, I honestly find the Empire, like, I've always found the Empire to be very interesting during this time, since, you know, they have no head, and they're trying to figure out what to do. I mean, it's like, it's like what I said in my, in some of my Sentai uh, reviews on the Toku Secrets podcast, there's nothing more interesting than, like, a villain organization that is struggling to stay relevant and is struggling to stay alive now that their leader is dead. And I mean, you know, when Harris and her council inquiry thing or whatever that was, her trial, right? Her, the trial mm-hmm. that she was in, they do mention that the Imperials are basically scattered, they're disorganized, and we knew that. You know, that, that was very obvious when we saw Vader and Palpatine both die within half an hour of each other in real time. Like, yeah. if their leadership is gone, then they're going to struggle, and that's a very true fact. But why? first, we have to answer the question of how did the Empire learn about Thrawn's potential to even return? Like, they make it seem like a prophecy, Yeah. So, if it's a prophecy, who the heck told him to prophecy? Because this is starting to feel like a Night Sister plot. I'm I'm also curious. Like, I, I know this is somewhat off topic, but and maybe I I do think that he should get pulled in simply because he does have a big role in the Empire, but like. I wonder what Ma, how Moss Ameta like maybe he has something to do with uh, with 
bringing in Thrawn. Now, for those of you who don't know Masa Meta, he is a character that we've seen. Uh, remember in Revenge of the Sith, well, actually we see him in all three of the prequels. Uh, he's this, um, the, hold on, I'm looking up what the name of the alien species is. Uh, he is a Cha Grien. He's this uh, blue alien with like two horns and he's always seen carrying a staff standing next to the side of the chancellor and all the major meetings so we saw him stand next to valorum and oh yeah in uh episode one and then we see him work with uh, palpatine multiple times and uh and attack of the clones clone wars and uh um revenge of the sith because uh, mm-hmm. they established that he is um that even during the time of the empire, he was Palpatine's vizier, like not necessarily his right hand man, but like basically his public guy. And the funny thing is in the aftermath novel that I, that I've read, they established that he is kind of a proxy emperor to the empire right now, but he's living in exile. So maybe, maybe it's his idea to, uh, bring in Thrawn because I mean he because he actually had a pretty like he was basically Palpatine's like number one like bodyguard during the Emperor during the Empire's time so I wonder how he would play into this they, they really got to bring him back I want to see what's happened to him I'd be interested to learn more about him because I don't know nearly as much as you do I'm learning a lot right now listening to you yeah but yeah but he like at least at this point in time unless you know Someone has come up like he's basically living like he's like kind of barricaded in his own headquarters on Coruscant since the Empire has collapsed. And well, he's... if he's on Coruscant now, I'm sorry, he's in jail. Well, yeah, but he's hidden from the New Republic. So he's hit. How, how hidden can he be on Coruscant, though? Like, I don't know. They. They he appeared in one little like short story interlude in the aftermath novels where he's kind of the emperor, but because he's not as powerful as Palpatine, he has very very little influence. Like, if that makes sense. How how far after Return of the Jedi are these books set that you're talking about here? Oh, probably like. Probably like a year or two, in all, in all honesty. So, a year or two, then add maybe three years to where we are right now. It's possible he stayed hidden if he just stayed in the same spot. But also, if Anakin, not Anakin, if Luke had even sensed him even one bit. Because you got to imagine, An- Luke, why do I keep saying Anakin? Luke! We're talking about the younger Skywalker now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke had to have gone to had to have gone to Coruscant at some point, maybe for like a parade or something after the Empire's demise. So he, if he had any level of Force sensitivity in the way that I think he does, he would have sensed the guy hidden away. And Ahsoka. Yeah. Because Ahsoka had to have popped up at some point on Coruscant. Well, I do know that eventually, like, at one point, like, he was still living in the Imperial... Like, when the New Republic had not quite... uh, So, maybe... I mean, maybe this is kind of established, but, like, from what I'm reading, like... Mm -hmm. So... And this was before the new republic established itself as like the governing force so they're no longer so they're not on coruscant yet he was still living in the imperial palace which in canon uh in canon at least palpatine after the jedi order got killed he turned the jedi temple into his palace uh mm-hmm. he actually tried to commit suicide but then he tried to uh surrender himself to the new republic but they didn't want to accept him as a prisoner because they wanted him to gain full control over the galactic empire in order to complete a surrender. So, because yeah. they they wanted the empire to completely surrender to the new republic. So, 
possibly maybe that plays into this. Now, I do know that eventually Masameda is the one who ultimately has to surrender because the Galactic Civil War is over by the time of the sequel trilogy. But yeah. uh, so possibly maybe Masameda, like maybe Thrawn coming in as part of Masameda's attempt to like regain more control over the Empire. I don't know if Thrawn ever interacted with him or not. I don't know. It's yeah. just the reason why I bring him up is because he has a much is that the more I think about it, like he has a much bigger role in Imperial decisions than I think some people realize. Cause he was like Palpatine's third hand. Like if Darth Vader was number two and I guess Tarkin was number three, like yeah. awesome meta was like a huge insider for Palpatine circle. So He's probably the last guy that has like any real in-depth knowledge of what Palpatine was like. So that's why I bring him up. Maybe he has something to do with this. Like, I don't know. It's possible. I mean, at this point, anything, it's all fair game. This is all a speculating and you trying do know to that, make sense. You know it. the character I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he was Just like, so he was there at Palpatine in episode one in that chamber meeting, right? Uh, well, he was with uh, the ch- well. He wasn't with Palpatine in Episode One. He was with uh, Valorum, who was the Chancellor in Episode One before Palpatine got elected. And then truth, okay, yeah. And then, but then he appears alongside Palpatine in all scenes in the Senate chamber in Episodes Two. In Episode Two, I think we see him in like a handful of episodes in of the Clone Wars, and then he's also in uh, in uh, Revenge of the Sith. He's blue, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't hear you're talking about. And he always carries like this huge staff with him. Yeah. So, yeah. It'd be I, interesting if he was involved, but he had such a minor role, at least in what I've seen, what I remember of the movies and the TV show. Well, yeah, but like by the time of, but I mean, most of that is, that's during the time of the Republic. By the time yeah. of the Empire, like, I mean, Technically, by default, he's the Emperor because Palpatine is dead, Vader is dead, Tarkin is long gone. I mean, he's been dead. Like, Mm -hmm. there's very little people left that you could consider de facto in charge of the Empire other than him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I I mean, I'm not disputing you. I understand 100% how he can be that person. I'm... I'm more so commenting on how much work Filoni would have to do to get the audience to accept this guy being relevant if they haven't read the books. Because right now the Star Wars fandom is, you know, they're finally coming to terms with the fact that they have to understand the Clone Wars and and Rebels to even have a chance to understand this TV show. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point now, like, where uh, our good friend Don Russo, that's our obligatory mention of Grandmaster him. Funky J. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, he has reinstated his weekly chronological watching of the Clone Wars era. So he's intermixing Tales of the Jedi... Clone Wars in the movies chronologically with his timeline and getting people to watch it all with him on a week by week basis where they do like four or five episodes to help new people who are not quite caught up yet catch up and follow along in the right order to get the continuity. Yep. So we, these are things that are happening now because Ahsoka has made it impossible to understand this world, this TV show without having watched all this stuff now. Well, yeah, but I think like the scenes that we see in Revenge of the Sith, where it's where it's very clear with how he reacts to Palpatine and how he's like so like deferent he is to Palpatine that like people could get the vibe that like this guy was always in in on uh, Palpatine's plan to be like a Sith. And even if you watch the Clone Wars, like there's yeah. literally one scene of one episode. I can't remember what season it is, but 
where Palpatine says something and what it there's a lot of scenes that imply that he's always known that Palpatine is a Sith Lord in Clone Wars. So, but even if you've seen Revenge of the Sith, I feel like people might recognize him a little bit to the point where they could buy that the guy is, has some influence, not too much, but. Oh yeah. He's definitely influential in the empire structure. I I'm I'm not commenting on the continuity at this point. I'm con- I'm commenting more on the logistics that Filoni has to go through to convince the audience to follow him this way. Given yeah. how much work he's putting the Thrawn across Rebels and this now. Yeah. But if anybody can do it, it's Filoni. Filoni will do it. I'm not worried about that. Um. But yeah, that was a very interesting discussion into some of the things we can expect next week. Um, I'm hoping that we can get Hera and Jason to meet Ezra and the next episode, if they go back to the normal galaxy. Mm-hmm. But again, that requires them to actually be able to go home. And I, I, wanna... I, have, this, I have this sneaking suspicion. I think I'm going to be correct. That they're not going to go home next week. And maybe a good chunk of season two might have to revolve around them getting home. Yeah. Because I think they'll do season two. Well, okay. So the reason I think they don't come back in time. Okay. So going back into the world of Riz crazy theory here. Um, one possibility of what's happening is. They don't make it back right now, and they're kind of stuck waiting there for until after the events of the sequel trilogy. And the way I can see that working is one of two ways one, they literally have to wait another like 20 30 years for the events of the sequel to be done, or the two galaxies operate on a different time. And so one year in the in the prime galaxy might only be a couple of hours in the Peridius galaxy. Because I'm trying to think of how do we explain the lack of mention of any of these events in the sequel trilogy. I I mean, I do know that, like, the book Bloodline kind of explains that the First Order kind of came within the ranks of the New Republic, but mm-hmm. that's about, that's about it. Yeah, but if, but if Ahsoka and Sabine and Thrawn return, the big question I'm going to have is, well, what the heck happened to them and why are they not mentioned at all in the sequel trilogy? Like, I can totally accept not seeing Hera on screen because she's just one general out of many, assuming she's still active at that point 30 years later. Mm-hmm. But we have to find a way to explain Ahsoka and Thrawn. And maybe Ezra. I'm, I don't know. I mean, we still don't know if season two has been wrapped up. And we like we won't know until the Screen Actors Guild uh, it, yeah. strike has been uh, done. But I, but yeah, I don't, but I don't see how they can't do a season two. Because there's so much stuff that they are not going to be they're able to gonna, wrap up in one episode. They're going to have to do a season two. And they're probably going to need a Mandalore season four to go aside of it. And I think it'll be Sabine um, having a bigger role in the Mandalorian world. Uh, they, they have confirmed that they're doing Mandalorian season four, right? Not yet. Okay, but... 
I thought that they did because I remember John Favreau saying that there's no plans to end the Mandalorian anytime soon. So well, I interpret that two different ways. One that's season four, or that's the story continues in other mediums or TV shows or movies. Yeah, so that's possible. They don't, he doesn't explicitly say season four is coming. You know, like he just says the story of Grogu and Dan is not over yet. Yeah, that, yeah, that's possible. So, I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see what how they wrap it up because we have a lot of questions here. Well, we'll just have to see. Yeah, but I but I doubt. But I mean, I doubt that Dave Filoni would end the series on a cliffhanger without getting confirmation that he'll he'll be given a season two. Yeah, or. He's baked this all out to be done in the movie, which is fine. If they want to put this all into the movie to wrap it all up, that's totally cool with me. But they have to do something to continue the story after next week. Mm -hmm. Because if they try and wrap it all up next week, that might lessen what we have here. Yep. Unless they give us a movie next week and make it like a two-hour episode. Right, because I remember like the last episode of Rebels being like an hour long, so maybe they'll give us something like that. That's exactly why I think they're going to do it, because, you know, I'm sitting there watching this thing, and I'm like, holy crap, the Rebels finale is an hour long. I forgot this when I watched it the first time. Yeah, yeah, I remember being kind of shocked when I was watching it, uh... but... But yeah, I'm just, but I mean, the, the only thing I can say is that, I mean, when they, like, you know, when they do eventually possibly get season two, like, I, I would, pr- I really want to see, uh, like, I, I'm cool with like seeing Balin get killed off in season at the end, but I, I really want us to delve more into Shin as a character because yeah. Shin, I find to be a very intriguing person. Like I, I feel like you could make her an interesting character because I don't know. Like I, I don't think she's quite at the level of Trilla from Fallen Order. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen that character yet, but like Trilla is a great character. I hope that they can make Shin something like that. Yeah, where I don't know, like I don't like Shin has the potential to be great because like she's got creep, she's creepy and scary, but she's also kind of a, she's also kind of pretty. Like she's a good, she's played by a good looking woman. So, yeah. uh, so go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say uh, I had another topic, but if you had another comment, go for no, it. No, I had nothing else to say. Okay, so. I haven't asked you this yet, Nate, because I forgot mm-hmm. until right now. But have you seen the fan theories about... So there was an Easter egg last week on Balin's wrist. His little communicator thing had some glyphs uh, on it. Had some what? Like hieroglyphic type language oh, on it. Okay. Um, and apparently... Those are Zephoglyphs, which are apparently in Fallen Order. And the Zephoglyphs read out the names of all the living Skywalker family members. And that's on his wrist communicator. Okay. Was it in was it in hieroglyphics or was it in Orabesh, like the which is it, the writing language that we see for star wars it was in the zephyr or zaffir however you say that um okay zephodless is what uh, it's called i think i remember that being mentioned in a fallen order once or twice uh... yeah but so there's a fan theory going around that i found interesting that balin's true purpose is something to do with the Skywalker family because it has uh, Ben Kenobi. It had Ben uh, solo. It has Leia. It has Luke. It lists a couple of other names as well. 
I, I'm not sure what that would be like. Maybe like it's possible. Maybe just like a connection that he had with uh, with Vader, because I mean he because they established that like he he did know Vader because like he surrendered to Vader uh, in order to have his life spared. So maybe it has something to do with that, but I'm not sure. Maybe. Cause I mean, he's old enough to have been like, like a young adult during Anakin and Obi-Wan's time. So. I am actually hoping that he ends up being, uh, one of the younglings in the temple that Anakin was massacring and he escaped i don't that would be cool but i don't know if he's if you could get away with making him a youngling maybe you can make him like a like a padawan like maybe someone who's just like slightly older because like kanan was a youngling Mm -hmm. during obi-wan's time and do you really think kanan would look as old as he does at this point like so maybe he was just a normal jedi knight yeah or someone who maybe he was at the temple but just not a youngling okay so i'm making a correction what i said earlier we do see zepho glyphs in the last episode but the names on his wrist are not written in zepho glyph they're written in oribus and the names are luke leia han sui r2d2 3po and ben so, and maybe those are people that he had to target at one point, or it could be a hit list. Yeah, that's what I find to be likely. Yeah, it, it's such a small detail that I think it took a couple of days for people to notice it because that didn't pop up on the internet until. Almost like two days ago, I think. Yeah. So it's a pretty small deal. It's not something that you would immediately know about. I would assume it's probably just a hit list. Yeah. It's what makes the most sense to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's something going on there with him and the Skywalkers and their assortment of droids. I maybe I mean, I would say maybe it would have to do with like um, the heroes of Yavin. I, they've never used that official in canon, but like in Legends, they referred to uh, Leia, Chewie, Han, and Luke are big four of the uh, of the um, original trilogy. The heroes of Yavin. Uh, yeah, but Ben's name. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's Ben Solo and not Ben Kenobi. Yeah, it would have to be Ben Solo. Yeah. So, I don't know. I sort of sent you the article, but I forgot about it until now. And I thought it was interesting. But well, something to look up. Yeah, definitely something to talk about again. But, yeah. No, that's just interesting stuff that I found when I was just browsing my social media like I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just two other things I want to bring up. So first of all, one Easter egg. Uh, we find out that Zeb is apparently training new recruits for the New Republic, which I I don't I know that he appears in Mandalorian season three. He he's at like a New Republic base and he speaks to Carson Tiva at one point. So I guess this establishes what he's actually doing there. Which yeah, I mean Zeb is a drill sergeant. <laughs> Can you imagine that? No, because I, for the vigil to be complete, I need Zeb as the drill sergeant with Sopper in the background throwing bo- cartons at them. <laughs> and doing his that, trademark Sopper suckle. Yeah, but that's but that can't happen because Chopper's with Hera. No, but that's the only way I will accept Zeb as the drill sergeant. Yeah. I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying that's what I need to have happen. Mm-hmm. Because I want to see live action Sopper throwing cartons at Ezra and knocking him off the ship. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of Ezra, um, I, I can't remember the name of the act of this actor escapes me, but uh, 
I I think that like this scene in particular where uh where like this was the part where I got sold with him as Ezra. So uh Shin Haiti has just beaten like Sabine and all the Imperial soldiers are surrounding them and she tells them like kill them and then Ezra's like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Could you just like how about you don't do that? Like you could take us as prisoner. Don't you want to take us as prisoner? And I'm like, yeah, that is totally something Ezra would do. So Ezra learned that, that from Hondo. Yeah, so that is totally Ezra. This guy has me sold as live action Ezra. Also, Filoni, if you're hearing this somehow, where the heck is Hondo? Yeah. Because, I mean, technically, I've seen Hondo in live action because they made, like, a, well, the closest thing to live action. Because, like, at, um, at Galaxy's Edge, when you do the Millennium Falcon ride, like, they have this animatronic of Hondo. And then when you actually go into the Falcon to do the ride, they apparently show this very live action looking thing of Hondo. Be like, you do job for me. You do well. Now go. Now you can go on home now. Like, that's the closest thing you can see for Hondo in live action. But, uh, Dear Rizwan Finances for 2024, we're going to Orlando and we're going to go to Disney World and we're going to go to Star Wars Land. Yeah. In fact, my, my wife has been suggest like my wife is always looking for an excuse to go to Disney World. Like she's been suggesting that you and I go just to check out Galaxy's Edge. I mean, I'm down. I'll even go to Disney World with y'all. I don't care. I want to go see that too. Yeah, because I like what we had a huge fanboy moment. Like when I go into this like Galaxy's Edge ride, I'm like, okay, they're gonna show us Han or Chewie, like someone from the movies that everyone will know. And then I see Hondo, and it's like, wait a minute, that's Hondo. I didn't expect to see Hondo. They're acknowledging. Hondo, that's so awesome. That is so beautiful that it's Hondo. Yes, and they have him speaking this Hondo voice. You know, you go do job for me, but you also pay me, but you also give me all the money and I give you nothing, eh? Or something like that. But see, that's even better, honestly. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we have to do the Millennium Falcon ride. That's like the best ride in yeah. the Galaxy's Edge. There's not really much else I wanted to bring up. Like, I just, like, I really wanted to give a shout out to uh, Ezra's performance here. Because, like, I, I I thought he was okay in the last episode, but we didn't get to see him much. But, like, he has me sold as, like, grown adult Ezra at this point. Well, the thing that's most interesting about Ezra is while he's been trapped in his solitude over here, He's been getting really good at the force. Yeah. Like, at one point, he does something similar to what Kylo Ren kind of does, where, like, Shin swings her lightsaber at him, and he, like, stops it with the force. Yeah. Like, he slows her down, which seems to be a common thing with Disney. Like, we see Kylo Ren do that all the time, and, like, the force slow, that's, like, a trademark power that you can use in a Fallen Order. Yeah, like a force attack. So, yep. yeah, that seems to be a thing that Disney seems to be kind of obsessed with, in all honesty. And I like it, you know, using the force as like practically something that you can use to defend against a lightsaber instead of yeah. like just fighting with the lightsaber. I mean, that's a cool thing that I'm so glad Disney created. And honestly, it's just nice to see Ezra's skills grow like that. Like he didn't want a lightsaber. He didn't need a weapon. He he took a uh, gun for like all of two seconds, but otherwise he didn't need any of it. Yeah. Like seeing him go fight and, you know, I mean, Sabine offers him his lightsaber and he doesn't take it. (laughs) She offers his own lightsaber to him. And he's like, no, I gave it to you. You keep it. Yeah. And Sid's like, what the heck, guy? But yeah, no, I'm I'm sold on what's happening in Ahsoka. Like, every week, it just continues being really good stuff. And yeah. I think I think one of the most impactful parts of the episode that we didn't really talk about a lot is that conversation with Ezra and, and Sabine before all the battles begin. Yeah, I mean, th- those two have really good chemistry. Yeah. 
And I think they sell the fact that this is Ezra and Sabine from Rebels again. Like, the way they talk, the way they interact. Totally, 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 totally them. And I I just want to say this. I know it's too soon, but you could say it's too soon, but I really don't care. Like, this is probably the most fun I've had watching a Star Wars live action uh, series on Disney Plus since probably Mandalorian Season 2. Because, like, I mean... Okay, Book of Boba Fett was, eh, whatever. Uh, I, I liked Kenobi. I really liked Kenobi, but it, yeah, but it wasn't as amazing as I thought it was going to be. Mandalorian season three. I mean, I need to finish that. I, you and I See, tried to well, tried to season watch season three is really good. Um, it has a lot of really good moments in it, and I think the best part of it is the Mandalorian world building we get Mm -hmm. and the focus on them. But, but I just feel like this is on a whole nother level because like, it feels like a continuation of the animated shows and star Wars, like the animated shows, namely clone wars and rebels, like that's peak star Wars stuff. It is. To see a live action show, that's a continuation of it and get it down perfectly is just, I can't think well, of a word to describe how great that is. Well, honestly, it doesn't matter what medium it is because Filoni is the continuity you need it between all of it. He had that vision in his head. Mm-hmm. So, he, literally, this is all because Filoni has stuck around for almost 15, 20 years at this point. Yeah. But uh, I would... Um, now... With that said, and I don't, I don't want to say this with it, with negative connotations. I am going to give this one more of a. I want to give it an eight out of ten. I do want to say that if I want to be technical about it, this is probably the, the. I don't want to say worst because that implies bad. This is probably the least good of the episodes because it ultimately is like a setup and like, I mean, a good, like half of this episode's runtime is action, which is fine. But I mean, it's mostly set up and that's why I'm fine with it. I mean, you know, there's this, like, I, but, but I still think it's good. And the funny thing is I knew it was going to be good when a certain guy on a certain person on social media said that he didn't like it. Cause I'm not going to mention him by name. Cause I don't like to call people out like that, but like, there's this one person who says, Oh, he didn't like it. Okay. It's going to be good. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm not mentioning anybody by name. I don't want to cause any personal drama. I don't do that. I don't call people out like that, but uh, yeah. Nathan's that, a better person than me. Well, I try to be a better person, but <laughs> Um, I, I would call them out. I'd be like name dropping. I'd be going in the street and yelling their name out and saying, "This is the guy, Screw that guy." <laughs> but but Nathan is over here like, no, I want to be nice to him. I'm not going to call him out like that. He he doesn't deserve it. Well, okay, I think he might deserve it, but I'm not going to give it to him because yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know. I'm I think I'm better than that. Yeah, you are. Anyway, let's stop vague booking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, what would you give it out of 10? So, before I give my number to you, I'm going to say, the way I score these things, Toku or Star Wars or even anime, I have two different metrics here. And one set of metrics is for normal episodes. And then... The other metric is for setting up episodes. And typically when you get a setup episode, I'm going to give it an 8. But that doesn't mean it's not as good. It just means it's a required episode we need to build something bigger. So in my mind, an 8 is a 9 or a 10. But on the technical scale, it falls back down to an 8. So I'm giving it an eight as well. And that's my long way of saying that. Yeah. But I want to explain the way I think about the logic. Mm-hmm. But all I can say is I'm so looking forward to this finale and 
I hope that Disney announces season two very soon. Although it, it probably maybe not until the Screen Actors Guild strike wraps up. But I do. But they did say that like the big deciding factor on whether or not they'd get a season two is if season one does really well. And I mean, it's getting positive reviews. So it's getting positive reviews. But I'm also seeing articles say that the viewership on Disney Plus is not what they're expecting. So that could be a problem, but I'm hoping not. Well, I mean, if fans love it, then that's all that it really should matter. Yeah. Um, Anything else you want to say? No, I I think I've said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. There's not much else I can say at this point. Well, then I just can't wait till the finale. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Okay. Well, with that said, uh, we that pretty much wraps up this podcast. Uh, I know that we spent a lot of time speculating on other stuff, but that's just because this episode didn't have as much happening in it, which is fine because they're setting up for a finale, so not a big deal. Uh, yeah. So a uh, little bit of an update. Uh, once we finish Ahsoka, we're going to be probably uh, doing like, you know, just like at least like twice a month. Uh, you know, I'll have my book reviews uh, until we decide to uh, do our next big thing. We're going to be doing Clone Wars and Bad Batch at some point. Also Tales of a Jedi. Uh, I'm still trying to work on finishing Shadow of the Sith. I've been incredibly busy with other stuff, but I'm trying to get it finished. Uh, I yeah. hope... I hope to have it finished by the end of the year. Let me put it to you guys like this, that. Uh, this this month of September in 2023 has been a very big month for our fandoms total. So we got Ahsoka going on right now for Star Wars. We got Power Rangers Cosmic Fury coming out in literally two days. Yep. Um, and then there's all kinds of really good stuff coming out beyond all that that we're trying to keep up with so we're in overload right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i don't know if we're going to really get that much of a break because allegedly skeleton crew comes out in november but i haven't seen enough info to say that that's a real thing yet well we'll just have to see yeah but uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna try to get Shadows of a Sith uh, finished up very soon. I have other you know written reviews that uh, I'm gonna go off of uh, for other Star Wars book reviews. If you have a book that you would like for me to check out, or for both Riz and and I to check out, uh, you know, send uh leave a comment if you're watching this on YouTube or send us feedback on uh, at our website AnimeSecrets.org. If you're watching this on Spotify or if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, we thank you guys. And uh, you guys leave us, you know, uh, leave us, you know, five stars or however much, you know, just leave us some feedback. Um, And that about wraps this up. Uh, Next time we will do Ahsoka episode eight. And then uh, after that, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll try to have a better idea of like what our future will be after that. And we'll let you guys know at the end of that podcast. Uh, We'll have a better idea for you guys. But uh, we thank you guys so much for uh, checking us out. We'll see you guys next time when we wrap up Ahsoka and we'll give our overall thoughts to the series. We're really looking forward to that podcast. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you and may the force be with you.